are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind the scenes juice on this season of Bachelor in Paradise and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. What's up, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 308. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you today. We've got Kate Casey of the Reality Life Podcast coming on. She's a multi-time guest on this show. We talk Real Housewives gossip, Bethany Frankel in some hot water, Cynthia Bailey and Mike Hill have now divorced. We talk some documentaries on Netflix, something we always do on this show, and we end it with some Bachelor in Paradise talk and some uh, Bachelor talk. So we will get to Kate and all that stuff momentarily. So my daily roundup was posted earlier this morning, a couple hours ago on the Reality Steve podcast. And I said that I was going to tell you about the information in regards to who's the girl who comes on Zach's season from a previous season and, you know, tries to become a contestant and ultimately fails. And what I said this morning was when I when I tease something like that, everyone seems to always just jump to the conclusion that it's going to be this big boffo name and everybody's, oh my gosh, I can't believe. And all I said was, hey, it's a spoiler. This is what happened earlier this season. But when this name isn't as big as you want it to be, don't take it out on me, which is pretty much what happens every time. But um, it's Tajwan. Tajwan comes on the show and is <laughs> so the if this is the first group date of the season and there are three alumni who come on yeah three former alumni or alumni of this show that come on that participate as i guess i don't even know what their role was maybe judges or something like that because there was like a three-part competition that the women on this date had to do. The three alumni that came on were Victoria Fuller, Courtney Robertson, and Tajwan. And there was and then the host of the date was the rapper Lato. You all know who Lato is. If you follow along with anything going on on TikTok, She's the one who sings the big energy song. We all know that song. It's in every single dance you see on TikTok now. But Lato is the host of the date. Victoria Fuller, Courtney Robertson, and Tajwan are there to help judge. And then what happens? Um... Crap, I have it in my notes somewhere. Let me pull it up real quick. Well, it's not important really what happens, but Tajwan is part of that, where she was basically just brought on to judge, but my guess is producers then convinced her, hey, show up at the after party, and she did. So she shows up at the after party trying to become a contestant on the show, and ultimately Zach doesn't choose her. Now, this is the first group date of the season, so Zach can't use the... I don't, I don't know what Zach's reasoning was, but it's, we've seen this in the past where someone has shown up after two or three episodes like, no, 
it wouldn't be fair. I've already established a relationship with some of these people. Like kind of um, Matt James season when Heather showed up. It's like you're showing up pretty late here. And, you know, Nick showed up in Caitlin's episode four, and she didn't have a problem with him. But for this particular episode, this is the first date of the season. This was date number one, group date. They moved in on Monday, or they, they, the limo entrances were on Monday, off day Tuesday, um, two weeks ago. And Wednesday was the first group date, and that, this is what happened. And so I don't know what the reasoning Zach said was. It certainly wasn't, oh, I've already established a connection with these women. You're too late because it's the first date of the season. But I guess we'll see how it plays out. But, yeah, Taswan does not stay on the show. And it wasn't a rose ceremony. She definitely was gone by the end of that night. So there you go. Um. Like I said, I never teased it was some big name. I never teased it was something boffo. Uh, it was just, this is what happened. And there it is. But yeah, Lotto is the uh, host of the date, I guess. Because one of the things that the women had to do on that date, I don't have my notes in front of me, so I, I could be, I, I'm paraphrasing what I kind of remember one of the things that women on the date had to do was like tell a moment in their life where they had big girl energy, you know, because that's Lotto's song, <laughs> something like that. It's like they had to, they had to, they had to share a moment where they had um, bad bitch energy, you know, because she said that in the song, isn't that bad bitch energy? Yeah. So that was one of the things that they had to do. And then, uh, I believe Lotto and Zach picked a, a winner from all the things that they had to do in uh, that day. And I don't know who the winner was, but I'll probably figure it out or find out later. So there you go. It was Taswan who was on God. What season was a bachelor? Was she on Colton's? Uh, yeah, I think, I think Taswan was on Colton's season. And then she's been on the last two seasons of paradise. She was on season six and season seven. But, yeah, you'll see her for an episode. Uh, you'll see her in episode two of Zach's season. And there you go. Also, this podcast brought to you by First Leaf Wines. First Leaf makes it simple to discover new wines that you'll love. They learn your taste and deliver quality wines right to your door. All you got to do is go on the site. It's tryfirstleaf.com, T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F.com slash reality steve you get your first six bottles for 39.95 plus free shipping it's very easy to do you got to take this taste test and they're going to send you six wines that suit you perfectly all you got to do is fill out the questions that they ask about what you like in wines and they will send you six bottles perfectly fit for you no more driving to the wine shop forget shopping by the label forget overspending on bottles you don't like First Leaf's going to rate each wine you receive with simple thumbs up or a thumbs down. You rate them with a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Then their experts will send you personalized selections with new and exciting bottles in every box. In fact, First Leaf can recommend wines you'll love with 96% accuracy. As for your taste evolving, so will the wines that you receive. And if you're not completely satisfied with a bottle, 
First Leaf will credit you for another. That is wine made simple. So sign up today. You'll get your first six bottles for $39.95 plus free shipping. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash realitysteve. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F dot com slash realitysteve to get your first six bottles for $39.95 plus free shipping. Tryfirstleaf.com slash realitysteve. Podcast Alto brought to you by Dame Products. You know it, you love it. When you think of vibrators, you think of Reality Steve. They've got a new one out. It's called the Dip. The Dip, whether it's your first vibrator or the toy that helps you rediscover what feels good for you, it's designed to be unintimidating and to encourage pleasure exploration without shame. At only $49, Dip is a widely accessible vibrator with exceptional performance, which is one-button control and five-intensity settings, DIP is an easy, entry-level vibrator. It's waterproof, has medical-grade silicone, and is whisper-quiet. Because that's kind of what you need, right? You need one that's a little quiet. Anyway, purchase DIP at dameproducts.com. Use code REALITYSTEVE to take 15% off your first order. That's dameproducts.com and use promo code REALITYSTEVE for 15% off your first order. All right, let's get going. Here we go. Podcast number 308. Okay, let's bring her in. She is the host of the Reality Life Podcast, a multi-time guest on this podcast. It is Kate Casey. Kate, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm great, and we usually bring you on, we talk a little Bachelor, Bachelorette, whatever season happens to be airing at that time, and then we get into the other gossip around reality shows that you know way more about than I do, and then we get into documentaries on Netflix that <laughs> that are that are good. However, and we're going to get to all those, but however, we're going to start with hot gossip rather than paradise, okay? Okay. Yeah. Now... I just came across this yesterday on my TikTok feed. I was just scrolling my For You like I do for probably, oh, I don't know, an hour before bed every night. No, not that, not that much. But I scroll before bed just to see, you know, who's dancing and, and whatnot. However, I come across, I don't know why it showed up on my For You feed, but it did, Heather McDonald from the Juicy Scoop podcast Right. calling out Bethany Frankel for being the biggest hypocrite in Hollywood. So all I've gathered is Bethany Frankel sent a cease and desist letter to a TikTok influencer, and Heather has a major issue with that. Do you know the backstory of this? What happened? Well, it's, it can be kind of confusing. I know I get confused myself, but on TikTok, Bethany's really made a name for, not a, made a name for herself, but I should say she gets a lot of attention because she does a lot of videos specifically in the beauty um, space where she's reviewing products. Okay. So she might take something from CBS and be like, uh, you guys, my I'm my head is literally exploding. I can't believe that this lip gloss costs two dollars and fifty cents because it does the job of something that you could find at Nordstrom. So she has at times taken to task brands like a Kardashian brand for its packaging or the way it's priced and the way that it that it works. And said that sometimes brands that are most expensive actually don't even perform as well as like a drugstore brand does. And sometimes kind of uses language that can be like, this is kind of scammy, if you will. Mm. So 
you know, her TikTok following has grown and grown and grown and people have really enjoyed it because most people are not prone to take large brands to task. So a lot of TikTokers were remarking on the brands that she goes after, specifically ones that have typically get a lot of press like the Kardashians. And so this one woman did a TikTok where she said, well, I've just looked up her trademarks and I found that she had applied for a trademark that was, it's a scam, I think maybe a year or two ago. I don't know the correct timeline. And so she is saying, her name's Meredith. She's basically saying all of these things that Bethany does on TikTok, which are like, hey guys, just so you know, I'm protecting you because like I've got a team of lawyers and this is not right. This is what you should know. It just doesn't seem as authentic because we find out or she found out that there was this trademark that was established. So that's really at the heart of it. And so smaller TikTok accounts are, are, are saying that apparently they've received cease and desist letters from Bethany's lawyers. Uh, but Bethany did a very small video yesterday that she posted and then deleted where she said, I'm only um, communicating with people that say disparaging things about my charitable work. So I, you know, I, I don't know what all these TikTok accounts are saying, but that's her position. Like if you come at, you could, if you have an opinion, that's fine. But if you say derogatory, defamatory statements about my business or my charity, I have, it's, you know, open season. And she's kind of saying, I have a team of lawyers. I have a team of trademark attorneys. They, you know, they will be calling you. Whereas other people on TikTok who are small creators are saying, you know, you're not very relatable when you're threatening us with legal teams. So that's kind of at the heart of it. So Heather was voicing her own opinion about how she she said, I think it's unfair and I think it's hypocritical that she's uh, going after brands and not being honest about, um, you know, the story behind it. But I don't even understand what her what what would Bethany's motivation be for even going after. I understand going after somebody like you said, that's going after her her work or her charitable donations or whatever. But if these influencers are correct in saying she's just trying to shut me down, what are they doing that she could possibly be sending them a cease and desist for? T- telling them to stop doing what? I, her position is, in the video that she posted and deleted, is that they were saying disparaging things about her charitable endeavors and her business because she has a very successful charity called Be Strong that goes into places of the world that are experiencing extreme weather conditions or poverty and helps the community. So I'm assuming that some of those accounts that she's referencing have made disparaging things about her charity. It looks like Hmm. from the bird's eye view that she's going after people and she has these big opinions and then these small time creators have their own opinions and they're their position is they're being stifled. They're being quieted because they're getting legal letters. Whereas a smaller content creator doesn't have that luxury of scaring the shit out of anybody that has something negative to say about them. So I guess Heather's opinion is it's not a level playing field. Interesting. So I wonder now this person, this, um, I think you said her name, what's her name? Meredith Meredith Lynch. Meredith Lynch. Yes. And is she just like, She's a small brand TikToker that just kind of started out doing this stuff. She's not like got millions and millions seems. of followers. Yeah, that's what it seems. Mm-hmm. Huh. So then, the, then there's this greater, the, the, this bigger, o- overarching question of 
um, who has power in TikTok because I, I heard someone say, which I found interesting, was that major celebrities aren't all on t- TikTok. And if they do join TikTok, it takes them quite some time to build up these huge followings, whereas TikTok really is a, a platform that is made up of a mass amount of smaller content creators. So it, their concern is that it makes that platform less powerful and less fun to engage in if you feel like there's Big Brother watching you, ready to send you a cease and desist letter for anything that you say. Yeah. So in, in other words, how much, how much freedom does one have to say what they really feel if you're afraid that someone with a, with a lot of lawyers will come after you? I mean, it's a good point, and yeah, it is. It is a something to where you would be extra careful about what you said for fear of obviously something like that happening. But you just, I yeah, mean, but also like I think that's the way we should all be wandering through life anyway. I mean, if you you have to be very careful if you say something about someone's business without proof. Well, yeah, and and that's the thing. I guess I haven't watched what Meredith has written. And or and not what right. she's written, but what yeah. she said to know, did she go after Bethany's business? Because, like I said, it's one thing to obviously have an opinion about somebody online that you don't like. You can't get you can't if someone just says like, oh, my gosh, you know, you talk about I mean, hell, anybody that watches Bachelor in Paradise has plenty of opinions on some of the women and the way they're acting. Genevieve can't send a cease and desist to somebody for saying, stop calling me emotionally unstable or something like that. Like, that's just no, somebody's no, opinion. But I think it is an interesting question and one that could probably be picked apart in like a college course because one could argue both both people are powerful because Bethany has a lot of money and she has a legal team. But in the current creator economy, somebody who has TikToks that go viral and if they say something negative, is something disparaging about someone's business or charity and it goes viral, that's pretty powerful too. Wow. Interesting stuff. Because it would be hard for you if you ha- are up against someone that made a TikTok that went viral and they're saying things that are untruth about your charity or your business and it's being shared thousands, millions of times. That's a beast that it would be hard to kill, right? Well, yeah, for sure. So I could I could see both sides of the uh, I can see both sides and it's it's a it's murky waters. Yeah, and look, I'm you know, I've changed my business model in the last year and a half due to the stuff that came up and the things that I was accused of and, and just realizing that, you know, it's just not worth it to, you know, you can critique and you can call out what you see on the TV show um, and then kind of go from there. But, you know, the stuff that I was doing years ago and doing exposés on contestants, I'm just like, you know what? While I do have information and I know it to be true, especially uh, nowadays, I just decided not to to go that route. There's no point. Um, let's just snark on the show, make fun of it for being silly and people getting engaged after eight weeks to somebody that they barely know and just kind of <laughs> leave it at that because it's just it, yeah. it's a lot. And and I do realize at the time I didn't when I was when I was doing it, but it, I do realize now the the impact that it does have on somebody's life because once it's out there, it's almost like it's almost impossible to unring that bell. And that's the that's label right. they're stuck that's with. Right. It's just like, okay, let's just have yeah. fun now. So, you know, I don't want to be, you know, I'm still going to snark and I'm still going to give information, but nothing to where 
I almost put it to like I said it to myself like, okay, if I report this, will this person, when they go into a job interview in the future, not be able to get a job because somebody in a future employer Googled them, my story came mm-hmm. up and they said, no, we're not dealing with it. That's a good litmus test. And, yeah. and I was like, you know what? And, you know, so perfect example was this past season on, on Gabby and Rachel's season when I posted this whole expose, not expose or whatever, but, you know, Nate's ex-girlfriend came about and said, look, I dated this guy for a year and a half. I had no idea he had a daughter until I saw the show. He never told me. And I was like, okay, that's something to report, one, because she put her name behind it, and two... I don't think a future employer would not hire Nate because of a girl he dated that he never told he had a kid. You know, that's like, that's nothing. It's nothing criminal. He didn't hurt anybody. He was just kind of being an F boy. And I don't think Mm -hmm. someone's not going to get hired for who they date in the past and what they told them. So I felt it was fine to run with. And I don't think that's going to affect Nate's future at all. It just was kind of showing, hey, what you're seeing on TV and this goody two shoes image that he's getting, it's like. It's not really that when he was doing this uh, to a girl before the show and couldn't even mention to somebody that he had a daughter. Like, that's that's weird. And um, I think a lot of people agreed. It's one thing to say, like, I'm not introducing you to my daughter. Nobody was disputing that because everybody's got a different timeline. Uh, single parents on when they introduce their child to someone new that they're dating. But right. to not even mention you have a child, like, how does it not ever come up in conversation during small talk? Like, what? That is just, how do you not bring that up? Assuming your daughter is the most important thing in your life, which I'm assuming she is for Nate, in 18 months that you're dating a girl and you meet family and you hang out with her friends, how do you not mention it? It was worthy to tell the story, I thought. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that is kind of weird. So um, we have a divorce that happened today in Real Housewives world. I guess Cynthia Bailey and Mike Hill done after two years. Mm -hmm. Is there any... I know Mike. See, I don't. I don't watch the shows, but I know Mike from the sports element because he used to be on ESPN, and now he's over at Fox, and he does a lot of the college football coverage. I know Mike from that. I knew he was married to one of the Real Housewives. I didn't. If you were to ask me her name, I don't know if I would have remembered it before I saw the story again. But um, yeah, is there any dirt there, or is it just? They got married too quick or whatever. What's their story? Yeah. Like when you watch the show when they were engaged, she really just wanted this huge wedding. It was during COVID. And I just remember the producers and every guests saying to her, like, just like this is this is something that obviously can wait if you're completely in love. Like, just wait and have like a, a pared down wedding. But she insisted in the height of COVID to have this over the top wedding to the point where it was like is this really because you want to be married to this person for the rest of your life? Or is this something that you want to make sure that is part of the show so that you're relevant and you can keep your job? Because it was literally a sea of people wearing um, like visors, like those clear visors. Remember when like during the pandemic, it was like, yeah. somebody was like, I don't really want to wear a mask, but I let me get by on what I have to wear. And it would be like a clear visor, like a tennis visor with like a shield. Yeah. And it was so absurd <laughs> because it was like plastic. You look, they was, look like welders with, yeah, exactly, with, with clear like mask. a welder, like, yeah. a, like a clear welding situation. So it was like a sea of people in the, in the height of the pandemic in, in Atlanta. And there were some of her cast members that were like, look, like, is this not like, is this necessary to get married? But she insisted on it. So those of us who have watched the show since the beginning of time know that when someone starts to be weary that they're going to be replaced, they're 
hell-bent on having interesting storylines to make themselves relevant. And that one, it felt like, I think you're making a disastrous life choice here for the sake of good TV, and this is going to come back to haunt you. So hearing that they're getting divorced is not really a shock to me because he seemed to voice several times to her, like, are you sure you want this? Like, is this is this the right thing to do? So I think in the end, her going off the show, probably feeling like, what's my next project? I saw her on Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip, and she just was extremely sensitive. And I, I, th- I could see, and I know that many of them, when they go off television, and you probably see this so much in Bastard Nation, that they have a real identity crisis. And sometimes the things that happen before filming and after filming are far more interesting than what they get on camera during a season. And I think she's probably one of those people that got married for TV and then the reality once the cameras are gone away and you're like, is this the person that I thought they were before I married coupled with who am I now that I'm not a television star is too much for people. Okay. I, I'm like I said, out of the kind of the loop on that particular thing, but I saw the divorce and I'm like, was there any, you know, juice to this. And now that you mention it, I do kind of remember there was a wedding during COVID on one of the housewife shows. And that must, yeah, it was like crazy. It was bananas. It was like, what are you doing? Um, moving on to another show that, um, well, I want to talk about my favorite topic among the housewives that I bring up to you every time. And I still haven't watched her. Uh, you know, my, my girl, Melissa Gorga. Melissa Gorga. Okay. Gorga. All right. I keep calling her Gorga. Okay. So um, this is what's going on with them. Because I, this is good. I think you're going to care about this. Did I did I read something correctly that Melissa and her husband did not show up to Teresa's wedding? Oh, no, they didn't. No, they didn't. Because during the filming, you all, this is probably the first season you're going to actually care to watch. Because I think you'll dig it more. All the franchises have their own certain flair. And and a most successful Real Housewives franchise is really illuminating people to who the women are in that city. So the women in Beverly Hills are typically people that have some sort of connection to the, in, the entertainment industry. They have over-the-top lifestyles. They're pretty surface in terms of what they talk about, but they want to show you all the shit that they own. So then it's a completely different situation in New Jersey because it's the sub- suburbs. And when it was created, that specific franchise, it was built out of a bunch of um, women who were in the same Italian family. So that franchise really has a like suburban Italian family vibe. So you have Teresa Judice, who's been on the show since the beginning. And a couple seasons in, as I mentioned to you before, they hire her sister-in-law, whom she despises with every fiber in her soul. Can't stand her. There were only two kids in the Judah or the Gorga family, Teresa and her brother. Her brother marries this girl. She dre- they, they, they're similar people. They dress ex- extremely alike. They're of the same ilk. Okay. So Teresa just can't stand her. And even though they're on a show now, you would think that maybe they'd have like some sort of bond. It's gotten worse with time because Teresa feels like she came onto her show, takes some of the shine away from her. It's like, this is my show. Why are you on it? Melissa has gone on to be successful on the show. I mean, these women have been making a ton of money per season. Um, It has been said that they're making an upwards of like a million dollars a season. So you have at the heart of it, family, 
issues and then they're heightened by being on a TV show together. So in the meantime, Teresa gets divorced from her husband. They had a lot of financial issues. They both went to uh, prison for some time. Yeah, and then, they don't, then he got deported to Italy or something, right? He's deported to Italy. They can only see him if he goes to like Bermuda for, for a meetup or, of course, if they go to Italy. She starts dating this guy who's a Jersey guy. And it's the love story is like, oh, we were, he was walking past my house one day and started talking to me. And it's like, mm, okay, no, he probably watches every single episode of Real Housewives. <laughs> and it was like, like angling for you. So they start dating. And what we find out is that he has a history of being with women who despise him and say things like he's a sex addict and he's like really controlling. And so if you're Teresa, you'd probably go, I don't know, maybe I need to check this stuff out. Not Teresa. Teresa's like, I have this intense love affair with this guy where we have this crazy sexual chemistry. And over time, those in her circle have suggested that perhaps he isolates her a little bit. So the women of that show, the women of New Jersey, the women of the Franklin Lakes greater, you know, community area have concerns for her because it's all the kind of hallmarks of someone who maybe doesn't have the best interest for you, like isolating you from your family and your friends. Well, they've gone on to marry. They had an over-the-top over wedding this summer. Teresa wore more hair than I've ever seen on any human being, and I have Irish thick hair. I mean, <laughs> waves of extensions you didn't even think could be made it it was crazy so days before the wedding you know Therese or Melissa and Joe kind of always bite their tongue clearly you could tell they don't like this guy but Joe's like listen my sister's happy she's been through a lot I'll just do it even though Teresa treats Melissa like dog shit so apparently Teresa helped perpetuate this rumor that Melissa had been cheating with a guy in their friend circle, Melissa and Joe's friend circle. And the Gorgas, Joe and Melissa are so horrified by it. They're like, this is the last straw because this was done on camera. It's become a storyline of the show now and you're doing us dirty. So they decided I'm not, they're not going to the wedding. So they did not show up to the wedding. <laughs> and there was like a spinoff, not spinoff, but like, you know, two or three extra episodes that will air in conjunction, I think, with the Real Housewives in New Jersey, a, like a wedding special. And Teresa keeps saying, I don't like, I don't give a shit if my brother and my sister-in-law weren't here. Good riddance, like, glad they're out of my life. But the people who know her are like, I think that this has a lot to do with Louie and what he's doing. So it'll be interesting to watch it all unfold. When is, what's the timeline for Real Housewives of New Jersey? Are they, they're in filming right now and the new season starts up or are we watching episodes they're right done now? They're filming. They're done filming. So the season that you want to watch has yet to air yet. Okay. I, I'm going to say maybe January, February. Don't quote me on that one, but I'm, but it's been, it's been done filming for some time now. So I think it's probably like a good two months away at least. Oh, so it's not even going to have her short stint on Dance with the Stars on it. Oh no! I think that no, that was definitely after. Yeah, okay. yeah, because that was. I mean, does anybody watch Dancing with the Stars anymore? I do. Do you? <laughs> well, I've enjoyed it. I've almost enjoyed it more on Disney Plus because there's no commercials. We just get two uh, hours of straight okay. show. I mean, it's. I don't know. I you know streaming numbers are very hard to find. Uh, but yeah. I I'm I'd be curious to see how it how it is doing on streaming. Um. I want to jump into something that there there are two documentaries. One of them I don't even remember. You were on in May, so it's been about five months since you were last on. 
And okay. I don't you re- I don't remember if you promoted this documentary which came out in July. I haven't seen it, but it looks bonkers and it's called okay. Girl in the Picture. Oh, for sure. No, of course. Have you met me? Of course, you know all about this. Okay. Okay. So this is why this is a bonkers this. one, right? This is like yes. totally bizarre. Okay. So the di- first thing to know is it's the same director as Abducted in Plain Sight, which was the documentary that they made into a scripted show currently airing on Peacock about a family in the seventies in Utah where one of the kids is groomed by the family friend. And he kidnaps her, and she was missing for like months. And it was she, he was she was like sexually assaulted by him. And so the whole that documentary would make cr- people crazy. Is like how could the parents have been so naive? Mm. So Sky Borgman, who directs this one too, she has, uh, I guess, the common thread to all of her projects, and she does so many fantastic ones. Is that she presents to you a story, and you're left to kind of put the puzzle pieces together. It's it's not overarching like this is this is the way it is. This is like black and white. You're left to kind of figure it out. So abduct or a girl in the picture is about this woman who it's basically it starts with this woman is about in like in her early 20s. She's found by police um, beside her car with groceries strewn a bit. And it looks like she's been hit by a car. And so she's taken to the hospital and they have like a license and they find out that her name is Sharon Marshall. So then they have to work backwards to find out who she is. And a friend comes to visit her at the hospital, a woman that she worked with at like a, like a strip. She was a stripper. Yeah. She was a stripper, right? Yes. And then her husband comes to visit her at the hospital and his name's Franklin and he's unsettling and he doesn't want anybody in the room and she can't talk, but she seems to be, Perhaps there's an, a possibility that she might come out of this quasi-coma or something. But he's alone in the room with her, and then he leaves, and then she ends up dying. So the whole documentary is building backwards from that. Who is this woman and working back from that? And what you realize is that Franklin, the man who was in the room with her, was, and she, she was also a single mother, they find out that he was – at one time, her stepfather, and he kidnapped her and raised her, if you will, while abusing her, and then ended up marrying her. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. So it's like a story working backwards, and you he- just – it's this story of this woman. But her who, child – is her child theirs? Her and her stepfather's? Child, no. It oh. turns out the child was not hers because while she was in high what? school – she would go out – he would go for periods of time where he would let her have some independence and she started to have a boyfriend. And because he was working, he wasn't able to – like there were periods of time where he was completely controlling and those, those when he gave her some independence. So she had a boyfriend at one time and got pregnant. Now, when they did the autopsy, they found that this is a woman who probably had several pregnancies. Her body – they could just tell from her body. And he had obviously made her have many um, plastic surgery treatments because you could see the scarring and she had bad implants. Mm. But it turned out that she had one child that that was placed for adoption who is a, now a woman. And she's a, a, a interviewed in this docuseries. Um, there was a boy that she had and – he ended up disappearing with Franklin too, and he was never found. 
So two children that we know of, probably several miscarriages or abortions. And so one daughter placed for adoption, went to a family and had a great life. But the other boy, Michael, also disappeared with Franklin and he his body was never found. So really, as you work back, you're finding out two things. The monster that this man was that she was with and what her life was like and also who she was. Because despite this hellacious life, everybody in her circle said the nicest things about her. She was the most positive person. She was a girl who was really smart. She wanted to go to college. She got a scholarship. And then he basically said she couldn't go away to school. And then she had to make money for him. So then she had to become a stripper. And so it's it's one of those great documentaries, if you like, trying to figure out the puzzle pieces. Well, you just gave us all the puzzle pieces, right? <laughs> no, there's no, there's way more. There's oh. so much more. So I interviewed the director, but I also interviewed uh, Matt Birkbeck, who wrote two books on this very, very strange case. So okay. there's way more to it. So I have not spoiled really that much at all. You're going to really like it. Okay. Is the, did the death or her at the side of the road next to a car did that end up really being a hit and run is that another part of the story that we find out is not really it wasn't a hit no, and you're run still, you're still like did he kill her did he do it okay yeah it seems like he he did but then again you don't really know because maybe there were other people it's still it's it's like it's almost like that show unsolved mysteries where you're like i don't know but just hearing it kind of unravel and what happened to this girl and it's just really interesting how, and I'm sure it happens to today, unfortunately, but so many of these cases that that we're revisiting in Unsolved Mysteries or um, other kind of docu-series is that there was a period of time, you know, before social media where so many crimes were committed because there was there was a lack of communication, a network of communication that would have, you know, disallowed someone from being able to commit so many crimes. Now, another thing that you're going to want to put on your radar is called uh, Sins of Our Mother, which is a docuseries about Lori Vallow. Lori Vallow was the woman whose children disappeared, and she was not telling anybody where they were. Remember, she, uh, her husband was shot by her brother and killed, and then her brother got killed. It seemed like there were a lot of people in her life that were being murdered or killed um, or died, and then she's all of a sudden marrying the fifth husband, Chad, and he wrote all those apocalypse books. And so they get married in Hawaii and their cameras are following them. The news cameras are like, where are your children? And she's just kind of smiling. And so uh, they finally arrested her after they found the remains of her children in the backyard of the man that she married, the fifth husband. So that's uh, four episodes, three episodes. It's called Sins of Our Mother. And it's more about that case and if you're already familiar with it you'll still like it because you're privy to text messages in episode two between Lori Vallow and the fifth husband and you see just how batshit crazy they are oh okay yeah um she's one of those people that's like um some there was some sort of trauma that happened to her that caused her to go off the deep end with like it's the end of the world so she believed that zombies inhabited people's bodies and then you have to kill those people to get rid of the zombies. Oh, okay. So she's perfectly normal. Yeah, like gotcha. Normal. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, one last thing on about girl in the picture. I know it came out in July. How many episodes is it? Girl in the picture is four episodes. I believe it's four. Okay. Yeah. 
But I'm telling you, it they go by fast because you're just like, what? It's like one of those. Now, how long ago was this? Did this happen? Oh, it was quite some time ago. It was like the late '80s, I believe. Oh wow. Okay. So this is so. So we they actually interviewed the daughter that was placed for adoption, and so that's the other. She's got to be in her forties then, or forties or fifties. She's like like mid thirties, but she's unraveling the story too. So she's learning who her mother is in the same way that we are. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Here's something that came up again on my TikTok for you page that I was scrolling, and yet I haven't found a thing about it. So I don't know if it's real. And it was just something that popped up where this guy is talking about Netflix documentaries that you should watch. And he's Mm -hmm. like, here's one. And the title of it was called Missing. And it was about a kid that goes missing during a magic show. You know, magicians bring up people on stage and then they make them disappear. Well, apparently a kid disappeared and then he wasn't found for a really long time. And the documentary goes into what the hell happened. And for days his family couldn't find him. But then I tried Googling missing Netflix and I got nothing. And I'm like, wait a second. But when he was talking, he had like a screenshot, you know, his green screen looked like the Netflix poster for this show. I'm just so confused because now something like that on a magic show, someone goes missing. You know, obviously they're they're not missing. It's just magic. It's 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 sleight of hand. It's like I feel like he's screwing with people. He's like making stuff up. Okay, it's very possible. I could be yeah. easily be duped on this. So. Because I can honestly tell you, I probably know every single documentary. I, yeah, like I'm deep, deep into this world. I've never even heard of that. Yeah, I. You know what? You know what I'll do when we when we hang up. I'll send you the TikTok. <laughs> yeah, send it to me. Because I'll be because it also has like, uh, like on the on the green screen, it has a quote from David Muir, the ABC News analyst. It says, you know. It has a quote from him on there. So I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. but I could easily have been duped on this because I'm not fully versed in the TikTok world. And I'm sure there's a lot of deep fakes out there. And this could be easily a a deep fake uh, on that. Um, Okay, so that's not a show. Damn it, because that sounds really interesting. Uh, Someone who goes uh, shows up to a magic show is like, yeah, I'll volunteer to be disappear to disappear. And then they they can't find them. Um, Do you ever do you ever watch Amazing Race? No, but I have I have this season on um I have the last two episodes of this season DVR and I'll be watching well, I probably I don't know if I'm going to get caught up on this season or not because I'm I've, I've somehow got addicted, not addicted, but I'm going to watch The Real Love Boat as silly as it is. It's basically Love Island on a boat. Oh yeah. But um Well, I do th- say I do think that the amazing race casting people do such a great job and one of the people that one of the teams that I interviewed was uh, are sisters they're identical twins born in south korea but they only met each other last year were they were they they found each other on 23 and me and so they were reunited so i think that like if you're looking for some cool different kinds of stories surprisingly there are a lot of great ones on amazing race Hmm. okay um I am going to watch this season at some point. I just don't know. I think they're only about three episodes in, so I'm not like way behind. Yeah, they're not. No, you know, you're totally fine. You can jump in. Okay. And but the only other season I've watched of Amazing Race was like I don't, it was like eleven or twelve. I don't even know why I decided to watch it. It was on one night. I was like, oh, okay, I'll watch it. I just get a little dizzy watching the show. Um, yeah. The running cameras. Well, do you, you like sports though, right? Yeah. 
But there's a there, do you, there's a do, do you ever watch Formula One Drive to Succeed on uh, Netflix? I have not, but I have also been told, and I've heard enough radio shows that talk about it that say it is the best sports reality show out there. It is, yeah, absolutely. Agree. And, and they said mm-hmm. you don't have to have the you don't have to have one interest in Formula One racing to know and to enjoy it and agree that it's the best reality show out there. And I don't. I hundred percent. I don't follow you Formula One. I couldn't name one. I, Verstappen is probably a name that matter. I name. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't even matter because what they do is they show you in broad broad strokes how the racing industry works. So you go behind the scenes of the team owner and the manager and the team and you see how many people work on a car and the marketing. So you feel like you've been like taken through a, like a like a master's course on how the Formula 1 racing industry works so that's cool for that they also have a cool documentary right now on hbo called 38 at the garden and it's about jeremy lynn and the and the night at i'm the definitely gonna watch madison, that one yeah the madison garden where he did 38 points so that's that's a really good one too yeah uh, i'm definitely gonna watch that one i have to watch the redeem team one on netflix which that's was about one. yeah um I like and I mean, there's so many that I have to get to. the The one that I did watch recently, which was excellent, was the Manti Te'o doc. Um, oh my god! You know, I I know the the guys that make that show. I love. They make the greatest stuff. And for, if anybody likes sports, the Untold series is fantastic. But oh, yeah. this season, the first two episodes are about Manti Te'o. And um, if you're if someone's not familiar with it, basically he was the standout player at Notre Dame. He was on the path to play like first round pick NFL, but there was this catfishing story, um, and he had been in communication with a girl who turned out to be a man, and he had completely bamboozled Manti Teo into thinking he was in this relationship with a girl. And it came at the the at the same time where he had um, his grandmother's death and he was a young, young player out of Hawaii at Notre Dame, completely out of sorts, somebody that came from a deeply faithful family into a completely different part of the country. And it was just so many factors that led to him believing this person who ended up catfishing them. So this is all these years later, and what's the worst part about the story is that he was supposed to be a number one draft pick, but because of the scandal, because uh, these two reporters ended up doing an expose about it, and because of the attention that came with it, the the NFL was weary of hiring him. Their excuse was like, we don't know if we could trust him. Like, is he trustworthy? Yeah. So somebody who should have been in the first round trip pick ended up being picked in the second round, and thus lost out on millions and millions of dollars. But the happy ending is that they did this episode with him. He had not spoken about this for years, and this was really the first interview that he did. And because of it, he's experiencing this whole new part of his career. I just saw uh, he did a Notre Dame game. I'm sure that he's going to do more. He went back to the school, and he was uh, a part of a game. And on the big screen, they like zoomed into him, and he was crying because it was like he had felt at home again at that school when so many people in the media and at school had branded him as this big fat liar. And he was not, he, by the way, that guy's like a superior human being. Nice, nice guy. Yeah, no, I was one of the people back in 2012, 2013. I mean, obviously being a big sports fan and covering it, I was in awe 
just like a lot of people were. Like, how can you call somebody your girlfriend that you had never met face to face? Like, that was the whole point because this was the beginning of what catfishing became. Like, it was the very beginning yeah, stages. People didn't really understand it. Yeah, people didn't understand it. Yeah, and but and it was just it, it, it coincided with his senior year. He was the best defensive player in college football that year. They went to the national championship game, got rolled by Alabama, and he just his stock just plummeted because this broke after the national championship game that, oh, remember when back in September when Manti Teo, who was on uh, you know the Heisman list, I think he finished second or third in the Heisman that year, remember when he talked about how on the same day his grandmother died, his girlfriend died? Well, come to find out his girlfriend wasn't even his girlfriend. He was catfish. It wasn't even a real person. And so everybody, all senior year, as we watched from September to January up until the championship game, Everybody had gotten on this guy's side like, wow, what a great story to get behind. And then basically the media turned on him because we felt duped as well because he was duped. And it was easy to make jokes. It was easy to make, you know, I remember, I specifically remember um, this was 2012, 2013 or whatever it was. Back when this story broke, I gave a tweet out that, you know, um, that, um, what is it called? Oh, the footprints poem. That's oh, yeah. very religious where yeah. it's, it's a picture of somebody walking on a beach and footprints next to them. And I said, I, I remember sending out that tweet and saying, now we know who the other person in the footprints poem is. It's Manti's girlfriend. You know, that oh, was the kind of jokes yeah. I was making back then. And everybody was, I mean, like, you know, didn't make it because at the time we were just like, this doesn't how in the world, like, well, also, not only that, people thought that he was in the closet, that he wasn't being honest about his sexuality. Yeah. You take the NFL, which is unfortunately a pretty um, misogynistic, masculine, like a testosterone laden locker room. And filled, it's just, yes. it's not accepted so, yet in the NFL. It was not accepted, most certainly, in 2013. So that it was like, yeah. we don't want a gay guy on our team. So this catfisher who was interviewed, by the way, and seems not to be, have any remorse, which is most infuriating, really, really did damage to his career. Yeah. No, it it, it absolutely did. And, um, you know, I mean, it's it, – watching it back, you know, obviously I felt bad because I was – you know, I participated in it along with so many others who made jokes at – at Manti's expense, but now to see how he's gotten through it, he's able to talk about it. He's uh, he's married now. Um, you know his life is back on track, and he you know he did play in the NFL for he was with the Chargers for or um, he was with the Chargers for about three seasons, and then he went to two other teams. But obviously, this weighed on him, and he even said like, "Look, I just I was never able to get past this, and I, I would feel numb during the middle of games, and it just." Yeah, it had a major effect on his life, and he didn't have the career that I think a lot of people thought that he that he would. He played for about four or five seasons, and then and then kind of flamed out. But he is doing better now, and it's a great documentary if anyone remembers that story. Because yeah, like we said, it was the early stages of the catfishing era, and people just we didn't get it. We didn't understand. We I remember watching the early stages of the catfish show on MTV with Nev, and I'm just like, I don't understand how these people are so dumb. Like, I don't get it. How do you not, the second someone consistently says, oh, I can't FaceTime tonight because my phone is broken or whatever, and they do it over and over and over again. Like, you, 
everybody that watches Catfish is just like, okay, but you're an idiot for believing this. You know, we all sit there and watch yeah. that, and we don't, under, and we don't understand it. But it's hard to put yourself, I guess, when you're a twenty year old college student, and uh, you know this person. Well, that's what they said too. The guys that I interviewed are the executive producers, and they said people forget this was an eighteen year old who had been sheltered, the oldest of a bunch of children, very tight family. Hawaii. He could have gone to USC, but he chooses Notre Dame. So he's away from his family, totally different climate. Um, The pressures of academics, the pressures of being on a team. So it was the recipe for disaster. And also the catfisher was very manipulative, knew what to say, was pretending to be a Polynesian girl. Like they were very calculating. You know what the one thing I was disappointed in that documentary was? And it probably wasn't their fault because I'm guessing they tried to contact her. The girl's photos that Renaya used to pretend she was Lene Kakua. Well, she was a victim too. Yeah, but they never got her on the dock. I would have loved to have heard her on the dock saying how it was for her seeing her picture. Because she had no idea. Until this story became national news... She had no idea that Ronaya was using her pictures as this is Lene Kakua. And yeah. I would have loved to have heard from her. I think she lives in Orange County. I thought I, I'm Southern California. I'm almost positive. We have we know her name. They say it in the dock and we see the pictures and Ronaya admits this is the girl that I use because I, I I went to some I know somebody who went to school with her and I saw her Facebook po- photos and I thought she was really pretty. So I used her photos. And but there's also reason to believe that perhaps Renaya had help because some yeah. of the phone calls it seems like the, there may have been a relative that also was helping with the catfishing which is even more upsetting yeah it was it was seriously I remember when Renaya went on uh, Dr. Phil and I remember the episode where they took him into a back room and they said we have to verify that that was your voice because we have your voicemails to Manti we have them but we don't believe that you were the one making this call and then they did it yeah, behind was Dr. A, Pearl, right? Yeah, and they did it behind a curtain or whatever, and then it clearly showed that he had the ability to get to a place where he absolutely sounded like a woman when he spoke. And it was it was crazy. I, and at the time I'm just again, this was twenty you gotta remember, this is ten years ago where Instagram wasn't even a thing yet and Twitter was still in its infancy stages. Yeah, the whole story is is bizarre, so but I'm glad it, I'm glad it came full circle and and Manti came out of it, and obviously he's leading, you know, living his best life right now. Um, I want to wrap it up with a little Bachelor in Paradise. We lasted forty five minutes. We haven't even talked anything Bachelor World, and I don't know. I don't even know if we're going to spend a ton of time on Bachelor in Paradise because it's a clearly a shit show this season, and we have mm-hmm. a for whatever reason a sixteen episode order of this show. It's never had sixteen episodes in the history of this franchise. Uh, 12 was the most they ever had. I don't know why they're doing 16. It's crazy. And not only is it 16, it's two hours. Every episode is two hours. I remember back in the day, it was like Monday's episode was two hours, but Tuesday was only one hour. Okay, fine. Now it's Monday and Tuesday. Every Monday and Tuesday until November 22nd, two hours every Monday and Tuesday night, except for one the first week of November. I think November 7th, they're just airing it on Monday and not Tuesday, but... 16 episodes of this, 43 people show up at some point during Paradise this season. It's the most they've ever had. It's just, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, I think it's not the enough show, to get behind. 
the show adds too many people and not enough personal stories. So I don't feel really as invested. And I mean, the concept that like you're going to meet somebody essentially on a vacation and on that vacation, you might find yourself in a position that you're willing to get engaged and then go back to your normal lives and make it work when you live in Washington and they live in Oklahoma city is absurd, but also the pressure that they put on one another like, well, if if we can do it, we can make, make it work like Ashley and Jared. But what they're not, like, reminding people of is that, especially new viewers, is that Ashley and Jared were on a show together and then had spent an enormous amount of time outside of the show, like, trying to work on a potential relationship. She was in love with him for a long time. So they really knew each other for a long time. So that when they were on Bachelor in Paradise the idea of them kind of hooking up is like, oh, the, these are people that are trying to figure out if they're going to cross friendship boundaries. You can't really com- com- compare that to people that are just meeting each other and are essentially on a vacation. Like, I don't know, I've been talking to you for three days. Should I propose to you? It's like almost improbable. Yeah. Well, not only that, all Ashley and Jared did was meet on Bachelor in Paradise twice. They went on two different seasons together and both times this revisionist history that this show is bringing up. Both times, Jared's whole goal was to avoid Ashley. Like, he was openly trying to avoid her. He wasn't into her. It wasn't until after the fact. So that's why when they brought them back and basically promoting this couple around as a successful Bachelor in Paradise couple, they never, in the two seasons they were on (laughs) Bachelor in Paradise, they never left the show even as a couple, let alone engaged. They were, he didn't like her. He was avoiding her. And so if you if you bring like, you know, Raven and Adam or Jade and Tanner on, at least they were people that met on Paradise, got engaged in the final episode and are still together to this day with kids. That would have made more sense to me. Yeah. Ashley and Jared don't. It just it's total revisionist history on the show's part and their part. I, I don't know why they participated in this, but well, I kind of do. I feel <laughs> equally annoyed by certain people. I feel like they need justice. No, I'm not all of them. I feel like Sally needs justice, but then I'm annoyed by her because I'm like, you should have never gone on any show or signed up for it if you're still in love with this doctor that you were engaged to at one time. So it's like I feel bad for her, but I'm annoyed by her in the same way that Michael, the widower, I'm like, I feel bad because you lost your wife, but I also feel like you're gunning to try to get your own television show, and it's so obvious, and it's like you're never going to be into any of these girls that are like a full decade younger than you, so this is like a waste of my time. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a long season, and they steal Love Island's little um, twist with the Casa Amor thing. That's going to happen at some point, probably next week. Sex episodes where they separate the couples that are currently together. They're going to make sure that all the couples are all set. Like after the next rose ceremony, it's like, okay, we've got eight couples that are solid. Now we're going to move the women over to this hotel, separate them. The guys are going to stay on the beach. We're going to send five guys in with the women. We're going to send four women in with uh, five women in with the guys on the beach. And these people that are in seemingly solid relationships or couplings are not going to see each other for three or four days. And then let's test them and see, uh, you know, who lasts out of this. And so, you know, that's straight out of Love Island. Uh, you know, they'd never done this before on Paradise, but I guess that's what they wanted to go for, some shock factor, and uh, they thought maybe everyone was getting too comfortable. So, okay, let's throw this twist in. And, uh, yeah, so that's where we're at with the show, and next week it's going to be this quote-unquote Casa Amor twist, and 
I mean, I kind of dig it. I think they need to do it. I need, I think they need to always have a, like a a new group of people coming in to throw them off their game because I mean, Shanae, it's like, would you really date Logan in your real life? Probably not. You got to like switch it up all the time. How do you feel about Zach as the new bachelor? I'm guessing probably blah, right? Like most people. I, I, I have to say, I always, I always look at things through a producer lens. Yeah. So for me, I just was like, this was a mistake because that after the rose ceremony where Jesse brought him out, he couldn't think quick on his feet. He couldn't remember the girls' names. He looked like he was junior varsity and he needs to play at a college level. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) he just seemed like not upped for the challenge. You need somebody who is equal parts, television savvy, vulnerable, funny, all of these things. And I don't, I don't think he's sophisticated enough to, to, uh, I think they're like, well, he's got a, like a, a relative, an uncle who's in the TV industry. So (laughs) he'll be up, up for the job, but he just seems like he's fumbling his way through it. So I don't know how, I don't know how fun it's going to be for us as viewers, but I also think you have to always remember, like if the people who are making the show are not having fun, it's very clear. Right. Like you could tell a television show where like they hated working on that show because it's sloppy. Yeah, they don't make people look like in the best light. And so you really have to make sure you are creating something that people will be happy to make. And I don't I can't imagine somebody would be making that show with him when he's fumbling and thinking like this is going to come out really great. They're really going to come home from that, you know, that that period of time and say like that was an absolute shit show. <laughs> And I know a guy who films The Bachelor, so I know. Like, there's some seasons where he's like, we had a great time. Other times he's like, oh, it was awful. And I can tell how he felt based on the way, you know, the the way it plays out. I'm like, oh, boy, you guys hated that person. Well, we're almost about halfway through. they, They hated Claire. They hated Claire, and you can tell. Oh, they did? Yeah, they hated Claire. They were like, this is a disaster. So annoyed. So annoyed. Well, Claire got her happy ending couple days ago she did yeah, yeah good for her yeah uh, but she probably should never have been on tv like she she i think that she was too thin skinned for it you need somebody who has a mastery of all those those character traits and i just think there's so few that could do it well i, mean, I think a lot of them the problem ends up being that it is it does become a situation where it's very easy to say you got to have thick skin to go on this show And you got to have to be able to compartmentalize what the random strangers on the Internet are saying about you. And Mm -hmm. it's like, well, don't look at it. Well, it's impossible because you have to check your email. If you go to your Instagram where you have to, you know, most people just post stuff on their Instagram, whether it's on their stories or their feed. If you have a bunch of messages, you're going to look at them. And a lot of them are positive. But there are so many that get in there that are negative. You can't tell somebody don't read the negative stuff about you because it's not like you're just going on the Internet and looking. Anytime you open an email, you don't know what an email says until you read it. And then you read it and it's negative about you and somebody, you know, criticizing you. So it's very easy to say don't read the stuff. It's impossible. It, it literally unless somebody throws their phone in the ocean and doesn't own a cell phone, it is physically impossible for anybody on reality TV to not read what is being said about themselves. Now, a lot of them 
um, invite it because they have Google Alerts set to their name. I know that for a fact. Oh, God. So, so yeah, they, they do do it because they want to know, but they only kind of, it's like they want to know, but they only want to know if it's good. And it's just impossible. If you go on this show, somebody somewhere out there will find something about you that they don't like and they will let you know about it because that's the way the internet works. It's not for people complimenting others. It is for you to, to for somebody out there who's sitting behind their computer nameless and faceless to tell you that your hair sucks or your dress sucks or your shoes sucked or your makeup sucked. It, that's, that's what the internet is. So the yeah. only way to avoid ever never getting any criticism is to never go on the show and you're not going to convince people to do that. So to not do that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's the only way that's the, that's the advice. Uh, it's the only advice I could ever give about anybody that ever asked me about going on the show. I say, Hey, I'm not going to tell you what you can't, what you should and shouldn't do, but just know somebody out there and maybe even multiple people are going to find something wrong about anything that you do. Like you could walk wrong and they're going to compliment and they're going to, you know, come down on you for it. So just be ready. There's, there's something missing though from casting for me in the bachelor and the bachelorettes where shows where I think that in yesteryear, maybe I think they were able to find people who are a little bit more, um, they weren't as savvy. I don't know how possible you could do that in this in this era. I, I think maybe the only way is to consistently create new shows where people don't know how to game the system. But there was a naivety in the in the early days that was made the, those shows so special. And now you have people that are either too savvy on the game or they're not great on TV. They don't know how to go with the flow. I mean, it's almost like they should put them through or like improv classes before they start filming to get them to be quicker on their feet. And then the last part is there's not enough time for story time. So you don't feel really connected to them. Like it made sense years ago where like the, somebody was like the second runner up would become the lead because you, you bought into like, Oh man, that person is like traveled the world now and they can't find their person. But I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like connected to anybody anymore. I mean, you could throw half the people in bachelor in paradise off the Island and I'd be like, oh, okay, just throw some new people in. Like I, there's no one that memorable anymore. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, it's a lot of people are now speaking out about production and the way things have been going down. That is fascinating to me Yeah, because part of me is elated because I want to hear that story, but I'm also like worried about them. Like is is that okay that they're saying that it seems like all of them it's almost like they're all hostages and they're you know they're like breaking out of prison or something i'm like i don't know is it good for you to be saying all those things i don't know well it's not and it's technically a um <clears throat> a violation of their nda but the, i would I think th so i think the thing is so many of them are doing it that the show is going to be like, well, we're not going to just sue all of our contestants because then no one will come on our show. If it was That's like true. one outlier, because so many are doing it. And the perfect example was was Teddy, who abruptly left the show on during Monday night's episode. And you're just like, well, that was so yeah, weird. We were, I, was, I couldn't figure it out either. What's the story? And then on her Instagram, she wrote this the, the very next day. Okay. Something I'm proud of learning. Leaving environments that are cruel to me and the people around me to sticking to my boundaries, no matter how many times people in authority try to cross them excited for this next chapter and what the rest of the year will bring. So that's, that's basically 
Tell me you hate production without telling me you hate production. Because all she had to do, we, we both know, anybody with half a brain knows that those two statements are production did me wrong. Um, they were they were rude to me. They were forcing me to do things I didn't want to do, so I left. That's what she said. But she didn't use the word BIP. She didn't use the word production. She didn't say anything about paradise. She's just speaking in general. So I don't know if the show can be like, you were, you violated your NDA with that. Because she could be like, what are you talking about? I was just talking about, you know, I just... I was talking about leaving an environment uh, at work, you know, because there's no proof in there. I mean, we all know what the underlying meaning of those that, that statement was and that Instagram post yeah. was. And if you if you watched Teddy's Instagram before the show, she never promoted the fact that she was on the show. Like everyone else is like, oh, come watch Hello. Paradise. She never did. Mm-hmm. So this was always going to be she had a miserable time. And then right when she was off the show, she posted that on her Instagram to let everybody know environments were cruel to me and the people around me and I'm sticking to my boundaries no matter how many times people in authority try to cross them. So it's like, yeah, production tried to make her do something she didn't want to do, so she left. That's what she's saying. And um will she wow. get in trouble will she get in trouble for it? Probably not because And by the way, it could have been just one producer yeah. for all we know. Yeah. It could have just been one person that kind of tainted the whole thing. Yeah. Who knows? And she, and they're not going they won't touch her. But so many of them are speaking out about it and I think that's why they're just like uh, what are we going to do? Sue everybody? Uh, you know, I think they're just going to tell them maybe like, hey, you got to cool it with the social media stuff. I know you're taking shots at us. And, and, and it's whether or not the contestants choose to listen to it or not. I don't know. I guess we'll see going forward if any, if anyone else speaks out. But, yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. Yeah, like I said, I think you have to have a certain personality type. You have to have – it's almost like a big school mentality. You know, it's like somebody who has like the – I want to go to an all like a a university of Georgia kind of mentality. Like I'm up for anything. I can roll in different groups. You know, uh, it's like small school versus big school mentality. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe they're getting people that are just, um, I, I, I'm not a good fit. I don't know. This could be a casting issue for all we know. Yeah. And it'll be interesting. I mean, Zach's about halfway through filming right now and, We'll see when when these women appear on screen uh, come January of 2023 when Zach's season starts airing. We'll see what type of potential contest because all wait, of Zach's wait, can women. I just say, can I just say one last thing that about yeah. the casting thing is like I also in the Zach when they had the after the rose and some of the contestants came out. By the way, I could tell that one girl was one of the Mandrell sisters' daughters. <laughs> like yeah. that's how sick I am. I like remember everybody. Um, they all seem like they were just picked for an audition. It seemed like they were all actresses who were doing a reading for a role that they didn't really get all the information for. Whereas yeah. I feel like in yesteryear, it was like I came to the show because I, I knew that Andrew blah, blah, blah was going to be the, the bachelor. And I spent the entire season watching it with my mom and my sister. And they were like, there is nobody in the world more perfect for Andrew blah, blah, blah than you. You know, there was a bit of that, and then you kind of bought into it. You're like, oh, my God, what if that's their love story? I don't know, maybe some people. But this time around in the last couple seasons, it's just like it feels like they're just picking random people off the street. And, like, yeah, sure. I mean, you're in the same age range. You still – you both live in the same country. Maybe you guys would be into each other. And you're like, wait, how – what? That person with him? Like, how did they even see that? Yeah, I think it's it's become a point now where I mean, look, these women that are on Zach's season, this is going to make up a majority of next season's Bachelor in Paradise cast. So you might want to get used to these women because probably twelve to fifteen of them 
are going to end up showing up on Paradise come next summer because that's the way this cycle works. And they will be the they will make up a majority of the cast. And we won't know. We won't know until January how this cast of women is. And I've always said it in the past when it's come to the leads of this show. The ben, when Ben Higgins was announced as The Bachelor and Sean Lowe was announced as The Bachelor and Chris Souls was announced as The Bachelor, nobody was doing cartwheels. These guys came across as very boring on boring their particular true. seasons. And so this show is made in casting. And it's made by the drama that's caused by the show. And so we'll see come January what the drama is, what the cattiness is, who's the villain. Because as much as you okay. hate Shanae, she made everybody talking the next day, did you see what Shanae did last night? Did you see what she did with the shrimp? Did she see what she said about this girl? Like, she was TV gold for them for the five episodes that she was on. Nobody was talking about Clayton at that point. They were talking about how crazy Shanae was coming across. And, and that's what this show feeds off of, is what you're going to be talking about the next day. Most of the time, it's not going to be about the lead. It's going to be about the pettiness and the drama and the contestants infighting. That's what you're going to talk about the next day. You need friends. to get you need to cast people as the leads and the contestants who are easily programmable. I think that's what well, makes yeah. it work the best. People that are uh, maybe from a certain faith or community where they've been kind of told what to do. You can't have like independent free thinkers cast for the show because it, that's not enjoyable for the viewer because it's too. Um, it's it's too unpredictable. I think people like predictability. Well, I yeah, I, I agree with that. I do think they like seeing... The, the predictability I guess they get from this show is it's kind of the same thing every season, just a different cast outside of the one lead because we've seen the lead on a previous season. But obviously it's just, hey, new cast of women, but we pretty much know next season you're going to get group dates, you're going to get... Group date after parties where someone steps on someone else's toes and says, can I steal him? And that's going to lead to drama. And this world's going to, this girl's going to shit talk the other girl behind her back. And then it's going to lead to a confrontation in the mansion. Like this is, it's the same thing every season. It's the same formula, but it's also, it works for them because that's why it's been on 20 years. And this is season number 47. Like clearly something is working for them to leave yeah. a network TV show on for 20 years. Like they know what they're doing. Um, but you know, we're we're also getting to a point now where streaming is becoming a thing, and and maybe this show in the next few years heads over to streaming, and it just opens up a spot on on ABC's Monday night schedule and Tuesday night. But I don't know. I mean, shit. You think it's you think the ratings are plummeting. You think it's going down, and then they order sixteen episodes of Paradise. So it's just like I don't know. I am. I don't know. It, it, it doesn't seem like they're cutting back on any Bachelor, Bachelorette, or Bachelor in Paradise programming on the network. Yeah. So I don't know. I have really no idea. You would think it's maybe headed to short towards streaming, but then you see that many episodes being ordered and you're like, well shit, I don't know then because they're giving right. us the most episodes we've ever seen of paradise 16 with this, this, this season of paradise is going to end two days before Thanksgiving. November 22nd is the finale for paradise and Thanksgiving is on November 24th. So I think the next Bachelor lead needs to be somebody that played college football and was a standout star and is now 28, lives in a somewhat smaller area, part of the country, has a very formulaic job. They're like working finance, they're an accountant, something like that. And so the opportunity would bedazzle them and you would get, you could cast people that were looking for someone who isn't necessarily looking for this over-the-top lifestyle. 
that would probably be a better formula for success. I think so. I'm. I said it before they went with Zach. I was like, look, I think it's been thirty consecutive seasons. It's 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 around that number where the lead of the show, whether it's been The Bachelorette or The Bachelor, has been someone that we saw on a previous season. Matt James was the closest thing that they po- that they did to somebody we didn't know. However, he was set to be on Claire's season before the pandemic hit, and people knew him through the quarantine crew with Tyler Cameron, and they knew him as Tyler Cameron's best friend. While he hadn't Ooh. been on a previous season, people knew him. If next September t- 2023 rolls around and they say, our next bachelor is Bill James, and he's a financier in New York City, and we've never seen him on the show before. I think that might interest people. Are you, you, I think that would be a great. People would love it. Yeah, and yeah I they just, want to see somebody they've never met before. And I think that they are so locked into their formula, which is you followed X X X person's journey. And he got dumped at the end, and he didn't find love, but he's ready now. And that's why they went with Ben and Zach and Nick Vile and Sean Lowe and uh, and all these people. They were all guys that got to a certain point on the Bachelorette season. You saw their journey. You met their family. And you felt bad that they didn't get there with the girl that they were on the season for. So let's give them their own season. And I, I get it. I get it to a certain extent. But when you've done it 30 seasons in a row, what's yeah, what's one time to up. just yeah. bring somebody else in? Let's, it, it, I don't think it would kill anybody. Just some handsome guy who, you know, went to Wharton School of Business, who's got all, yes. you know, perfectly, you know, just looks the part. And we just haven't seen him on TV before. And I guess, they're, I guess their fear is what if people don't connect with him? We already know they connect with, you know, Sean and Zach because they just saw him try to get love. So I get it. I see one side, but I also see the other side. So who knows? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, Listen, we can't fix every show. I know. We can't. We don't have enough time in the day. I know. It's um, – we'll see what happens. Uh, come January, we'll see We'll see how Zach's women perform uh, this season. Anyway, Kate, thank you so much uh, for coming on. You're always a great talk. I'm glad I we – I do think he should choose the Mandrell girl. <laughs> I, I like her because – you know why? I think she's got though she's got a child from a, a previous relationship, and yeah. she's got a great relationship with the ex and his new wife. I, I think that's like a cool story to tell. Yeah, I think. Um, and they should have wait, and they should have her. They should have the the new wife and the ex come and help, um, like help in that like the journey. So like when he does a hometown date, he has to meet with the ex and the new wife too. I'd be into that. Well, if she gets a hometown date. I'm guessing the ex husband and his wife will be on it because they should. That'd be so good. Because I know that yeah, they are like civil, and it's not like a contentious uh, breakup here. I don't. Yeah, I don't that'd believe. be such a, such a great story to tell, and cute daughter, and she's bubbly. And by the way. She's a Mandrell, so she's been in the industry, so she's probably quick on her feet. But she's probably not going to choose him because he doesn't know how to handle media interviews. Can Can Barbara perform on the hometown day? Can she sing for us? Can she give us a little belt out a little country tunes for us on? Uh, probably, on I think she's the daughter of Eileen Mandrell, so maybe have the Mandrell sisters reunite for some sort of thing. <laughs> but she's just like perfect. She wears cowboy boots. She lives in the, she lives in Nashville. Everybody's interested in Nashville right now. I mean. Fine. I'll be a producer. Fine. <laughs> anyway, uh, Kate, thank you so much uh, for coming on. Thank uh, you. Thank and you, we will always. probably catch up uh, after the new year, maybe once Bachelor is airing, and we'll go over things. So 
thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate it. You got it. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you so much to Kate for coming on. I was so glad that we were able to talk 45 minutes and none of it was Bachelor, Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise related. A lot of good stuff hearing about. I mean, she is dialed in to the gossip world, especially the Real Housewives gossip world. And even though I don't watch it, I have no problem bringing her on because I know a lot of you who listen to this podcast probably watch, if not all of them, at least watch one or two of the Housewives seasons. And she has good information. And I want to bring people on who are interesting, who have a lot to say and have good information. And every time I bring Kate on, she's great filling me in (laughs) on that stuff. And, you know, the documentaries that she mentioned, Girl in the Picture, Check that out. That's on Netflix. If you want to check out the Manti Teo documentary, that's on Netflix as well. But um, I, I think I got deep faked by this <laughs> TikTok of uh, missing uh, this kid that goes missing during a magic show for days and his family can't find him. Um, I think that might have been a made up thing for Netflix. Uh, anyway, um, so thank you again to Kate. Uh, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please uh, rate, subscribe, and review in Apple Podcasts. Also, if you are listening when you're driving or at the gym or you're running or you're walking and you are interested in the advertisers and you forget what the code is, all you got to do is go to the episode description in Apple Podcasts or Spotify and it's right there. You can just press on the actual link and it'll bring you right to the page. Um, So check that out. And also the daily roundup was released a couple hours ago so you can check that out on the reality steve podcast feed so for kate casey i'm reality steve thank you all for tuning in and we will talk to you tomorrow see you